0: Hello
1: and welcome to this episode of Ten Thousand Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. Um, yeah, things are things are things are gloomy again in London. We had a bit of sun, uh, but now it's just like uh, living in the grey soup. Uh, Phoebe, how's it how's it going on your side?
2: It's going okay. I have something in my eye. That's my that's my news.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is it? I mean, you've had like eye related stuff for a bit, right? Like, is it? Hopefully yeah, it's not as bad as the um, last time you had an no, eye-related well, eye incident.
2: The um, the hemorrhage in my eyeball came back. Oh um, no! But apparently, because I went, I went for um, an appointment at the retina clinic, and apparently, there's no lasting damage to my retina, and it's That's just good. a kind yeah. of weird thing that happened, and it's sort of a little bit mysterious. Yeah. But. Um, but yeah, that's my that's uh, that's Phoebe's eye report. If uh, if yeah, you're keeping well, track of uh, what's going on with my eyeballs,
1: I'm no I'm no doctor, but what I can say is based on what I uh, what you've told me, it does sound like you are turning into uh, the vam- the Morbius vampire. So um, I don't just really know
2: what that what that means. <laughs>
1: One day, one day we'll watch Morbius and it will make okay. sense. But in the mean, in the meantime, we do have a guest. We're not making the guest watch Morbius. Uh, we're joined by Input Magazine's uh, Jessica Lucas, uh, who pieces like feature a lot in our group chats um, and like a really good example of just like someone who not only provides us a lot of content, uh but someone who was just like uh yeah just like steps ahead of everyone else uh jessica welcome to the show uh thank, thank you for being here how are you how's it going are your eyes okay like
0: my you know. my eyes are fine i'm sounding pretty husky i went to my first ever hen party over the weekend so mm-hmm.
1: whoa okay but- what did you What did you, what did you do for your hen party
0: uh so it, it wasn't it wasn't mine it was yeah, a friend there was up, uh here. there was a butler in the buff and weirdly her grandmother was the most enthusiastic person <laughs> about that so
1: right okay was, uh,
0: cool an interesting experience to say the least
1: i i, I only ask because like i've got to figure out what i want to do for a stag do in a few weeks um mm. and i haven't really decided on anything so i'm just like getting some ideas right now but um yeah i i do have like a big bag of uh, penis ice lolly or like lollies mm-hmm. in my amazon cart so that, we'll that's really
2: that's really for Hindus. that's not really <laughs> a stag do. i think
1: i think that they could be used for both but any case Thing. in any case okay okay um, yeah that's fine um look we're you're gonna, gonna, you're gonna some...
2: make us watch a cartoon aren't you yes
1: yeah it's gonna that's be that's what yeah, you're gonna, gonna make
2: us do it's on, gonna, it's this, gonna be several <laughs> on this alleged stag um, party <laughs>
1: Um, Okay, so let's talk about some posts. Uh, I have a post uh, that, to start off the show, this is something that came in hot from the press. We call it the Michael Owen corner. Um, Devin, can you play the match of the day theme song here? Uh, I don't know. Let's uh, see. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely mate. Michael Owen corner. Uh, so Michael Owen Corner. Michael Owen, uh, the last time we spoke about him, he found a, pol- a portal um, and he wasn't sure whether he was going to walk into it or not. Um, but he seemed very apathetic to it at the same time. Um, Michael Owen has come back. It's uh, May the 9th, 2022. He posts, my Twitter space is about to go live to discuss my NFT project. Despite the critics, my NFTs will be the first ever that cannot lose their initial value. Um, I think this is a beautiful post. I don't think we need to spend too much time on it. But what I will say is it's extremely like Chad to release your NFT uh, at a time when the market has basically collapsed and the infrastructure that denotes the value of those NFTs is also collapsing.
2: Yeah you know what this reminds <laughs> me of you know the bit in austin powers when dr evil has been unfrozen and he's trying to think of like he's trying to think of stuff to hold the, the world to ransom over and it's all stuff that's already happened yes and, <laughs> and his like second in command just keeps having to go like <clears throat> <clears throat> that's kind of what's happening here with uh, michael owens business partner who has had to kind of issue a um okay so when he said that uh, this is an nft that can't lose its value uh what he means is, this NFT can still very, very much lose its value. This is not something that we can promise at all. But what it actually means is that if the price drops below the initial price, you then can't sell it. That's what it actually means. Right. And, okay. this, is, and this is something which Owen, um, because he is a he is a dear sweet boy, doesn't apparently understand and he seems to have misinterpreted misinterpreted this and then announced it as meaning that the nft physically can't use its value lose its value uh and his business partner is now having to uh put out that fire which um so god knows what he <laughs> god knows what he saw on the other side of that portal i assume it was i assume it was something cool
1: i think it'd be very funny if he did mint the only nft that like did kind of retain value somehow um yeah <laughs> yeah i i i, I want to know what it looks like jessica do you have any thoughts about like what the michael owen nft might look like
0: i have absolutely no idea i mean <laughs> just to be clear so he's saying it can't lose the value from the price he sold it at mm. is I, that
2: what that means i think that's what i, I think, think i yeah. yeah i think what he means is it can't Drop low; it can't drop lower than the initial arbitrary price that has been set on it.
0: Yeah, but all it means is if
2: it does drop lower, you then can't sell it. So that's that's almost the polar opposite.
1: (laughs) My thinking. My thinking. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> my thinking is that it probably has something to do with stable coins so it's like um, and this is where I'm also like the infrastructure behind the NFTs is also collapsing too which the idea that the stable coin would basically like have a sort of anchored bottom price for digital to digital assets right and the whole idea is that like in, some st- in certain stablecoins, like the ones that are collapsing right now, uh, they would be pegged to like the US kind of like dollar and stuff. So you basically have this anchor value and that's supposed to sort of give security to like people to be like, yeah, well, you know, I could make money from it, but I'll never sort of like lose my initial investment because like it's locked to the stablecoin. But the problem mm-hmm. is, is that like the stablecoins don't have any real sort of like basis for like security or even as a monetary system. So, someone has basically just said, Yeah, there's this thing, and this thing is really valuable and it never loses its value. And it's pegged to like currency, which famously also never loses its value. So, actually, this is a really, <laughs> this is a really like useful investment. And Michael Owen, um, a man who has been forced to watch, I think, at least eight films based on another tweet that he did, uh-huh. um, has sort of kind of bought into the idea that he can, like, his NFTs will always have like this baseline value and that will never delineate um because of how valuable they are and you know what to him i say um yeah why not like it's like i've heard most like insane pitches i think after we did the whole slurp juice thing last week um i've sort of decided that like we've kind like yeah anything goes if you want to say stuff it's fine um doesn't really matter anymore sure (laughs) okay so if we are done with michael owen and we we are gonna like invest all of our patreon money into uh buying michael owen nfts i do have something else that's very fun for both of you um we are going to be talking like this is uh the pickup artist section um i don't know how many of you like if you guys are familiar with um the pickup artists and what they're up to i imagine both of you are um but there's been this like new genre. There's, there's been this like genre of tweet that's sort of been, become popular over the past couple of years, which I could only describe as like situational um, Dungeons and Dragons style. <laughs> stuff. Um, so the idea is simple, right? It's kind of um, like an account will post a picture or like a stock image of a like attractive young woman, and they'll kind of be like, "Yeah, you're at a supermarket, or you're at a college campus, or you're in a restaurant." And you notice this hot girl and that hot girl is just like conveniently close to you. How do you like open the conversation? And what's very funny is that a lot of the people who follow these accounts don't really seem to know how to speak to women at all. So um, here's an example that I've posted in the group chat and I'll also post it in the show notes. Uh, This is from an account called The Man Maker. And The Man Maker says, you're at a college campus and you notice this hot girl's checking you out how do you open and the picture that he's attached is like this stock image of like a young like girl with who's wearing a crop top and like juicy i don't know what are, what are they called are they called what, anything cycling in shorts. particular they're
0: cycling shorts yeah. did, are they cycling they're, shorts.
1: Are they're yeah. cycling okay they're not like called okay i didn't know whether they were like a specific kind but okay basically no. she's wearing kind of like you know cycling shorts and a crop top and the uh if you get to reply and reply is like another situational thing. Uh the manmaker reply goes, uh hi, I can't help but notice you're wearing pink. Her. Huh? Ha ha. Yeah. Stares awkwardly. Me. Well, pink is my favorite colour because it reminds me of pussy. Her huh? gets extremely wet. Wanna check if mine is pink too. Done deal. Hundred emoji. Two likes on that. Um, brilliant response. Um yeah this is kind of one of the more crude responses there are like more i was looking for like someone had collated a bunch of these really weird responses from like guys who were applying to the man maker and there were just these really bizarre things where there was like one like they would sort of be very overtly sexual but there would also be some that were like trying to kind of neg this kind of stock image girl so mm-hmm. they'd be like commenting on like her bag or commenting on like the book that she was reading and basically trying to show that like yeah you might be wearing these like sexual like sexually provocative clothes but like i as like an alpha sigma male um see right through that and i like i know exactly what your game is um yeah uh, i'll read out a few more in a second but i was going to get your, your guys like initial thoughts on this type of this post and also this type of post mm.
2: jess
0: do you want to go first Yeah, sure. And what I don't understand is why the image is always like from behind at a really creepy (laughs) distance. Like it's almost as if you're opening and and you've like been lurking weirdly behind these women. Like from the get-go, it's just weird. There's Mm. nothing
1: better. There is nothing better than um having a uh like having a guy come up from behind you and neck (laughs) you so
2: yeah I mean I think that's I think that we can all agree on that as being just the absolute absolute alpha behavior I think honestly I kind of struggle to see what the actual harm is in this behavior because if I, I, because like yeah, because young women are very used to being bothered and being creeped out by men in the public sphere. That's like that's 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 like that's like table stakes. Like hearing one more weird thing is like it's probably not going to be like adding or subtracting to this uh, mythical girl's experience. But I think it's what is what is interesting about it is the kind of, is the kind of fantasy. Dungeons and Dragons element because they would never approach this woman if in in person. That's like that's clearly something that they, that if you come up with I like I like the color pink because it reminds me of Percy. Like that's not, you are clearly not somebody who is <laughs> who is approaching women in public. And I actually find I actually find uh men who are confident about the idea they can speak to women in public and confident to the extent that they're not replying to pick up artists on twitter um i find them much more alarming because they're much more likely to speak to me and bother me and follow me off the bus etc 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 like they're that like they're the ones who you want to be worried about um not these not these strange young men because because i because obviously i struggle to get into the i struggle to get into the mind mindset of of what sort of what they're kind of going with but i think that there is a female equivalent and i think the female equivalent mm. is and it's much younger i think it's a much younger demographic but it's being a teenager and trying to come up with what you would say if you met a famous person who you who you're who you're really keen on yeah. and I remember having these kind of fantasies when I was a teenage girl. And like the stuff that I would come up with was so weird. It was like, <laughs> and it was always so detailed and would definitely have made me come off like that I had something absolutely the matter with me if I had, if I had come up with, if I'd like bumped into like a singer or an actor or whatever that I, that I fancied when I was a teenager. Yeah. And <laughs> it, and it was a similar level of, oddball behavior I think and mm. m- I think maybe it has a kind of different it has a different kind of texture antenna to it because it's so associated in our kind of collective mind with the like with the extremely like alarming violent misogyny of these kinds of kind of pickup artists and in cell hmm. kind of, so sort of on, sort of online spaces. So you, so you automatically kind of associate it with that kind of, with that kind of sort of tangible and material danger that is being presented to women and particularly young women. Um, but I, I just think it's just oddballs being, being oddballs.
1: Yeah, kind. Yeah, I mean, before I go into that, Jess, Jessica, what are, what are your thoughts on like whether these guys are necessarily? Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't want to say like they're not dangerous, but do you know what I mean? Just like their, sort of proximity to all this. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I agree. I don't think that many of these people would speak up if they were, you know, actually at the supermarket or actually on a cliff edge for some unknown reason, which I think <laughs> one of the pictures yeah. is set there. Um, but yeah, it is al- al- almost reminiscent of, um, I guess young women writing fan fiction yeah. or, on the same vein of what you were saying where it's all like oh and obviously this like carrie styles or whatever would fall in love with me because i am amazing and this is what i would say it's like they're acting out these little fantasy
1: scenarios and
0: i guess i don't know getting, getting a bit of an ego boost out of it
1: mm. yeah so actually a friend of the show miles clee like wrote about this uh last year and to miles um this is like basically like so in one way you're right like it is like pretty much fan fiction and instead it's a kind of fan fiction that has sort of been embedded into like pickup pickup artist culture for a while on the other side what he says is that like ultimately this is still kind of it's not really fan fiction in the way of like people kind of getting emotionally invested it's very much like a statistics game so the opener as like a principle of pickup artistry has always sort of been there since like the 2000s. Like I remember the TV shows where like they would train, like pickup artists would like train people on how to kind of like pick up women in clubs and stuff. And one of their things was like, you know, you have to have like your opener and your day game and just like all this sort of very kind of like the use of this very sort of like clinical language to describe, you know, seduction or whatever. Um, so to miles, it's like, okay, well, the whole point of the opener is not that it's like supposed to work on the first time. It's just that you're supposed to say it because statistically mm. someone will pay more attention to it than like, you know, others. So, um, in like the whole like pickup artists, like, you know, the TV shows and everything, people would like use openers that most of the time wouldn't work because the whole point is that you're just supposed to find someone who doesn't. So even if, and you know, that would extend to like, oh, if someone's like not flirting with you within like 15 seconds of talking to them, then like they're not worth talking to and you need to move on, right? Um, and I think this is sort of where like the fetishization of the opener kind of comes in and is where these pickup artists account and crucially like for these pickup artists accounts, like the man, the man maker, there's like another one called PUA dating tips and stuff. They are people that are basically advertising their services and this is just a way of do like advertising that so I've seen that like in, with some of these cases, the pickup artists, like the accounts will quote tweet, like the more cringy openers and they'll be like, yeah, this is exactly what you shouldn't do. And if you want, and and if you want to know exactly what you should do to pick up a girl like this, you should like sign up for my course or you sign up for my newsletter and all that stuff. So really it, it is still just like shilling products. And in a lot of ways they seem to sort of be like exploiting a lot of like the kind of like very hapless men who they are saying that they want to like, help and you know Mm. advance uh which i thought was like very interesting
2: what i think is interesting in terms of like (laughs) again like in terms of kind of what the kind of female corollary is i don't know i don't know how this occurred i suspect it's a kind of data kind of data sale thing from some like tarot card tarot card thing that I signed up for and like I'm not ashamed I don't care like I, like honestly if I see something saying oh here's a free tarot reading I'll be like yeah absolutely have my data I don't give a shit <laughs>
0: um,
2: but they do sell your data to some very strange um, to some very strange places um, I have not been able to work out how to get rid of those emails that I get basically once a day about like a teaspoon of this can like melt fat overnight um, quite a lot of quite <laughs> mad stuff about, um, about Dr. Fauci I'll get quite a lot of those <laughs> a lot of those as mm-hmm. well um but one of the things that i get is um this guy called matthew hussey who is a who is uh an online dating coach for women and he sets himself up as somebody who can help you get uh get someone who has broken up with you back mm. and um god knows what like oh you know do do you want your do you want your love reading like yeah yeah I want my love reading and um, so, it's, <laughs> so it's something along those lines but it seems to it seems to have uh, sold my data to the uh, um to the ripping off uh miserable heartbroken women space of uh of online which I'm, I'm grateful for and quite a lot of it is it it sends so it sends you a thing saying here's how to do this but if you want like the full story then you have to sign up for one of my courses or one of my workshops or um you know or or buy my or buy my book or buy my or buy my ebook or whatever 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 I mean in the first in the first instance if someone has broken up with you and you do manage to and you do um reconcile and because I don't think it should be a case of you are then tricking them into getting back together with you if you decide together as adults that you are going to get back together and you found out that your partner had paid money to some guy who advertises on like who advertises on YouTube and like mm. buys buys data <laughs> <laughs> um wouldn't you think this is this is a weird thing for them to have done uh, but one of the things that one of the things that matthew hussey is very very keen on is um magical texts which can okay which, which can like make men behave a certain way um and Every so often he sends kind of like free samples of these like magical texts. Mm. And they're always stuff which is a kind of interest, which is I think a a corollary of the kind of the cringe, uh, cringe pickup uh, advice. It's always incredibly bad advice. I think it always would make you, I think I think would make a woman who followed this advice come off like a whack job um like one like one of the things that they said that they say that you should do is um you should text someone saying i'm on i'm on my way out but i'm just like gonna call you real quick then you call them then you speak to them for like 30 seconds and then you say well like i said i'm just running out the door i just wanted to hear your voice and <laughs> I, I think that's a really weird thing to do um per, like personally i think that's a weird thing to do i think that I'm thinking about, you know, my my male friends who date women. I think that if they described a woman doing that, I'd think, uh, okay, oh, fine. So she's troublesome. That sounds like a troublesome woman. But Mm. it's a really interesting, I think that there's a kind of whole area of like pickup artistry aimed at women, which is just sort of not discussed because it's not deemed to be like dangerous and worrying in the same way that pickup artistry aimed at men is because it doesn't have it doesn't have the kind of the ties to um to inceldom and red pilling and that kind of thing in people's mm. in people's imagination. But it's but it doesn't mean that the stuff's not there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like the main the only kind of like the thing that I kind of found not necessarily interesting but somewhat indicative of like the pickup artist stuff now is the whole like the kind of red pill adjacent angle to it um i mean in the sense for like these guys are like very kind of overtly identifying as pickup artists but what's been very interesting about like the revival of the pickup artists like culture and community or whatever you want to call them is that they're very different from how they used to be in like the 2000s right like in the 2000s mm-hmm. it was very <clears throat> like their situation was very sort of reductive and it was very much the case of like oh we want to like kind of be like the jocks and like we still really resent the fact that we didn't have like dates in high school and stuff so now like we have all these techniques to basically get like loads of women to sleep with you and like you know increase your body count and so on whereas the puas aren't really like selling anything new they're still selling the same stuff but like the way that they market it is kind of much more adjacent to the kind of like very be inherent misogyny in red pill like sections mm. of online so like with kind of man maker Uh, beyond his kind of weird situational tweets there are tweets about how you know young men are kind of feeling lost and that's all because of like pornography and because of like disney feminism and all that stuff right um a lot of these kind of pua accounts still kind of borrow language from gamergate and like you know that whole kind of idea of you know uh like woke you know, woke feminism, trans, you know, all that, all that type of stuff that like is very kind of culture war embedded, which is to say. But I think like what's very interesting watching the revival of the PUA movement right now is less to do with the PUAs, but much more about how these types of movement, like these, like as these movements say revive, they sort of can find a home in this broader culture war space, and yeah. that um they can like yeah they can basically advance the language of like this disparate culture war as a way to sort of like re like situate themselves but also reassert their importance um yeah. i don't know i mean i haven't looked too much into it i don't know uh, jessica if you've kind of like seen uh signs of this or if you've seen like other kind of like illustrations or expressions of this type of tendency both in like pickup artistry like online but also maybe like in other spaces too
0: I think you're definitely seeing a new version of it in a uh, female dating strategy. And, and mm, this is yeah. what you were saying about women being seen as less threatening that has major ties to the red pill movement and has been kind of lauded in, in the press as almost being like, oh, wow, look at these women taking control and taking back power from the pickup artists. But actually their views are equally as toxic. I think they, mm. they refer to undesirable men as scrotes short for Scroton.
1: oh great cool yeah
0: i know wonderful right wonderful and separate them into low value and high value and all of this mm. stuff so rather yeah. than anyone kind of evolving they're just they're just all descending into this cesspit of nasty behavior mm.
1: yeah i think that also the categorization component of this is really interesting too and i think it's like that's also one thing like the puas have always kind of like been like their whole thing has always been to sort of like categorize and sort of like attribute kind of value to like women and also to themselves as well. Like there's a kind of great degree of like self-hatred and loathing in these communities too. What's really interesting about like their revival is that they're sort of reviving in a space where like weirdly enough, lots of different kind of groups and sub-communities do similar things in terms of like yeah. categorizing and um, compartmentalizing uh, I guess like also sort of like attributing like whether certain people are of high value or of low value. Um, it's very kind of, yeah, I, I guess it's that, it's, it's that thing about, is that thing about, oh, they, they've sort of re-emerged, they've re-emerged in an online climate where like they aren't kind of this weird subset of people who view the world in a different way. In fact, like they kind of view the world in the same way that lots of other people do when they're on platforms and they're mm. just kind of like re-reifying their of existing sort of narratives and kind of like all of the stuff that they sort of built in the 2000s they're now kind of like having to remarket that again and crucially because they've like re-emerged in this environment a lot of the stuff that was like outrightly dismissed in the late the late 2000s is kind of being like overtly sexist or being kind of like damaging and crucially that period of time when like a lot of the pickup artists um started to really kind of like reassess the stuff that they were doing or in a lot of cases like um a a lot of the pickup artists that were featured in the neil strauss book the game like ended up kind of in really bad states after the whole like the the zenith of it right um Mm. you know whether it was like through kind of like addiction problems or like you know some of them kind of lost a lot of money uh they had to like move back they had to like move back home like lots of really bad stuff happened to a lot of them um and I guess like the reemergence of it, they're reemerging in this climate where they now have to kind of like market all that stuff again, but to a I guess possibly like a more receptive audience as well, like one that kind of understands the world or understands like social relations in the way that they did back in you know yeah, back a couple of decades ago. Mm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure think, we won't. Yeah, go on.
2: I think it's I think it's all about. Um, at least in part where people locate locate their grievances and I think that I think that like with a lot of this stuff like particularly with these like what would you say to this woman in the supermarket I kind of feel I kind of feel bad for these guys they don't they don't they don't strike me even when they say Kind of appalling, horrible stuff like, oh well, once a woman's over twenty five, she no longer has any. She no longer has any value. She's now a low value woman, and because if they do ever manage to get themselves a relationship with a woman they're just going to get a really nasty shock about, you know, the passive <laughs> time. And I just, I love the idea that like, <laughs> that like every single year on the, on like their new girlfriend's 26th birthdays, they're going to be like, wait, what, what this again? Oh, you fuck fucked up. Uh. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. We'll try this again. And the next one is going to stay 25.
1: Okay. <laughs> they're going to
2: stay 25 forever. That's, that's how we're doing things and yeah and like i said there is you know there are there are ties to um some very alarming and yeah materially dangerous uh, materially dangerous people and they are very um indicative of a very uh, troubling way of thinking but i th- I, c- I think i kind of feel like with the incredible um and monstrous and worrying attacks on um on uh, reproductive autonomy in the United States and on trans rights and stuff i just feel like women have got a lot to be going on with without worrying too much about what yeah. losers online <laughs> are, are up to i don't that I, I i don't think there's going to be an incel setting policy anytime soon
1: no no i mean that um, being yeah i mean that that's being, the kind of yeah. thing that's
2: going to get set like you know that literally like in a year's time there's going to be like an incel congressman and like that's going to get sound clipped. Yeah, but like
1: i will but, i will sound but, clip and I'll be like this year i will but, this yeah you, you. You know,
2: no 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 i would i would deserve to be this you'd for that <laughs> but yeah i don't know i just feel like because like literally as you said jess when you're talking about um the female dating strategy stuff like quite a lot of their anxieties about like how women talk about them and how women see them are like they're not off, they're not completely like off the mark. Like, and you and you hear and see women talking about men that they don't think have any value to them, um, in a really kind of horrible and dehumanizing way. Like, and I I I know I bring this up all the time, but like the weird acceptability of going on about men being short, I think, is just. I think it's I think it's grotesque and it's and horrible and is such an example of what the complaint has always been about the way that women the way that women are talked about by men and I don't think the I don't think the react the 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 reactive pose just being like okay well if men are going to be gross about women then we have to be you know equally gross in return. I don't think that's, I don't think that leads to a very, I don't think that leads to a very healthy emotional culture one way or the, no. one way or the other. But yeah, I think if you're like, I think if you're a kind of like lonely, weird boy and you, th- and you in your head think that if you said to a girl in a pink outfit that it's like her pussy and then that she would fall in love with you. I don't know. I think that's sad. That's sadder more than that's sadder more than anything else to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I don't, yeah. I don't know if there's anything else other than I'm an, other I'm, other an, other
2: I'm, other an other. I'm an I'm an MRA now. That's my new thing. That's my <laughs> that's new right. pivot. That's We've good. had the well, vibe look, I, shift. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I I've just figured out how we're going to advertise this episode. Right, I'm going to post a picture of you, and I'm going to like make up some like bizarre scenario and ask what you, people. No, 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 you choices. absolutely are not <laughs> going <laughs> to do <not>. that. No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to post a picture of me. And ask uh-huh. people what they do in that scenario, and see what see see see, see what's up with that. Um, look, remember
0: you have to be facing away and in yeah. shorts. Also, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, that's useful. Okay, all right. But look, I'm going to ask my wife to like take some pictures of me in shorts, like from behind and then create like some insane like yeah you, 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 you've you seen this guy I, I don't know I'll come up with something insane but yeah I think that might be good okay let's talk about like let's talk about something that's like fairly normal let's talk about some fandoms um let's talk about like a fandom in particular Jessica when I got in touch with you a few weeks ago um you had written this piece about a TikTok influencer who I had no idea about because I don't have TikTok I'm not going to download it Um, so I'm just gonna like learn what I need to know from all the content being produced outside of it but you introduced us to this character called Will White um, Mm -hmm. who uh, I mean I'm gonna let you explain who Will White is and then we'll sort of like you know because the broader kind of conversation here is really about like fandoms and like we've sort of touched on fandoms a little bit before but um, Jessica you wrote this very interesting piece a few weeks ago when I first got in contact um about a uh certain influencer and crucially like a fandom community that seems to have sort of gone to war with itself or at least like there's lots of drama happening and reading through the piece like i was making notes and then like more drama happened and like i had a bunch of questions and then those questions are sort of answered but not quite so the piece like centers around a character called will white um, so can you tell people who may not be familiar with Will White, who may like just not be on TikTok like us, like who is it and what has kind of caused all this drama?
0: OK, so Will White is like uh, a thirst trap TikToker. So one of these guys that makes very uh, lusty, shirtless videos designed to, uh, I guess, um, incite some sort of uh, sexual or awakening in women. And usually, this is young men doing this for other teenage girls. But Will White, who looks like, I guess, kind of a combination of every generic 80s white heartthrob that you could imagine, um, mm. does this to Duran Duran and, and other 80s songs and specifically targets middle aged women or may not have specifically targeted them at first, but mm. certainly appeals to them now
1: yeah and yeah so he's kind of like basing nostalgia in some ways but what seems to be interesting is like the relationship he has with his fandom where a lot of them are like very very protective of him but mm-hmm. there are some who like think that he's like actively exploiting them mm-hmm. um he gets paid a lot of money to kind of continue doing stuff but also crucially like when he doesn't upload like people genuinely get worried about him and like his health and his safety um the story the feature that you wrote kind of like towards the end of it you talk about like fans who kind of showed up at his house and that was like one of the first times he sort of confronted the idea of like having this very obsessive fandom um but then responding to like the kind responding to that some of the fans were like well you know we sort of sustain this guy's life and like we kind of you know support him and kind of make allow him to do the work that he does so like we feel like, kind of entitled to it to do it to a degree it seems mm-hmm. like a lot of stuff going on and opened up this much broader question i guess of like um i, I mean for me like there are lots of questions i want to ask because and i'm and i'm worried because obviously i don't want to use the word fandom or stands and stuff like as too much of an umbrella term but it brings a lot of things together uh in terms of like the kind of emerging nature of like a micro celebrity, the types of kind of online celebrities for whom like their celebrity is very much denoted by very invested micro communities. I suppose um, and then with that also like you know what how, you know there's the parasocial element to it but like what goes beyond the parasocial element and I think that's where the kind of like nature of enticement kind of comes in so um again so I guess like to extend on what you said before how would you kind of describe the Will White fandom and like crucially how would you sort of describe the kind of conflicts that were happening or mates might still be happening um in that space I
0: yes, the the conflict weirdly comes um, down to who is being a fan in an appropriate way. There's one half of the fandom that believes it's appropriate to completely sexualize Will White, to encourage him to spit into his camera um, and to just generally lust after him in a way that would probably be very problematic if they were men and he was a man 20 years younger than them. Mm. Um, which I guess is the view of the other side of the fandom who, you know, think that a lot of the behaviour is appropriate, worry about the obsessive nature of the fans and and how much of their, I guess, emotional support is, is coming from Will White. Mm. Um, and, and then they kind of started arguing over it. People started doxing each other. Bullying started happening and it's all kind of spiralled into this war where no one really knows who started it, but they seem to be more obsessed with each other than they are with white yeah. himself. Mm. and this,
1: And this is really interesting because like, again, well, we did a fandom episode or we talked about fandom a while ago. Mm. Um, And I also like, it's also something that comes out in um, Hannah Ewan's book on like uh, music fans um, about how like, as the sort of expansion of being a fan or being a patron and stuff kind of grows, Um, there's not only like more of a demand to sort of like perform publicly, like perform fandom publicly, but like it's also not really about getting like your favorite artist or like um, creator and stuff to even notice you. It's about getting other fans to notice you, right? So like the labor Mm. actually comes in like, it's, it's, it's far less to do with like showing your support more than it is about like kind of delineating where your faction is. And then by extension of like establishing where like the sort of real fans are, you can then... Um, you know ultimately like you define being a real fan by like who the fake fans are mm. um, and yeah I kind of just wondered like what you guys both thought about like that in terms of an analysis of like fandom and or like w- you know one analysis of a fandom and whether crucially like that isn't and Jessica because you've kind of covered fandom in various forms before whether mm. like the stuff of Will White whether it's unique or whether this is actually something that's like intrinsic to understanding what fans are and what their kind of purpose is on the internet
0: yeah i mean i think it comes down to parasocial relationships so i know we throw that term around a lot but it's i think what a lot of these fans are trying to prove is that they are the favorite they understand the person they're following the most they have this kind of i don't know a special insight or connection or whatever that came up a lot with will white and I don't know, it's almost trying to prove that, yes, I am the better fan. And therefore, my obsession over this person and my behavior is validated because we share a special connection. Mm.
2: Because this is interesting, because like, obviously, like, obviously, we don't want to over pathologize because um, I think a lot of harm comes from attempting to categorize relatively normal human behavior and human feeling Mm -hmm. as something that can be kind of easily kind of diagnosed and uh and like kind of by analogy uh uh medicated or medic or medically managed but like being convinced that you have a special connection with someone who doesn't know who you are Uh, This used to be, this used to be called, this used to be called erotomania. This Mm. is, this is, this is, I mean, it's like, it's really easy to say like, this is like not a kind of healthy way of uh, engaging with your interests or engaging with your hobbies or engaging with other people who you know through your, through your interests and hobbies. But I think the casual way that, uh that we end up discussing the kind of the inevitability of this sort of thing is something which i think is worth thinking about and worth uh thinking about with sort of quite a kind of critical eyes i was listening to uh like i was interesting listening to an interesting thing about um about the relationship between like tiktok and high fashion and how TikTok is deemed to have kind of interrupted high fashion. And one of the things that they said just completely casually it's just like, oh yeah, there's there's nothing worse than going viral on TikTok because you get, you know, because you know, these are like mainly like young people and they're there getting, you know, death threats and rape threats and people like telling them to get plastic surgery or asking if they've had plastic surgery. And and it was talked about like it's such a kind of casual and just absolutely inevitable consequence of of mediating a community through a digital platform this is just what this is just what happens this is what this is just what happens and there's no point discussing it because this is just the way of way of the world and I think the same thing happens when we sort of try to kind of discuss fandoms that this kind of uh collective erotomania is just deemed to be kind of part of it and there's there doesn't seem to be a way i don't know if this is fair or not i mean you, you, because of um sort of thinking about them and, and sort of looking into them sort of a fair, fair bit more detail um maybe you have some, some some thoughts on this but it's almost as if the the absolute kind of shared understanding is that there is absolutely no socially or emotionally normal or healthy way of engaging with an interest to a degree that you have connections with people who you only have connections with through this particular interest. I think that the idea of being convinced that, not that you're necessarily having a, a kind of actual real life connection or relationship with the person that you're a fan of, Um but that there is a special connection. You have got access to some kind of special knowledge like that. That seems to me to be a very troubling thing and not something that we should be necessarily thinking like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is just how, this is just how fandoms are and this is how they've always been. And the only difference now is, is a question of scale because of, because of the sheer, Mm -hmm. because of the sheer size of the online environment. But I. I'm not I'm not sure it's exactly I'm not sure it's exactly true because I think yeah looking back to my own teenage years and being a very very dedicated and probably at times obsessive fan of various uh, various bands in particular but and I definitely recall a kind of very vivid and rich kind of fantasy life around it but I don't remember there being any kind of attached conviction to that
0: Mm
2: -hmm. or any any kind of attached kind of like shared shared delusion like the idea of like meeting one of these people was was sort of astonishing and like I said earlier I think I probably would have said something to them that would have come across as really really weird but I never, I never thought that I was like the custodian of being a fan of them, and no, and and none of the other kind of equally dedicated fans I knew thought that either. But then again, may, maybe, maybe this, maybe this is a kind of, maybe this is a kind of normal production of the fan what's that what's somebody who is the object of a fandom
0: called uh, uh oh that's a very good question that's a, that's a
1: good question because it's like actually one of those things where again like when, when you sort <laughs> of like understand that like a lot of fandom isn't really or like a lot of the fan like elements of fandom kind of they they use like the artist or the creator as like a locus point but not necessarily not necessarily like the fixation is not necessarily the same thing and yeah yeah, and like i I wonder and this and and some of this like sort of emerges out of your piece, Jessica as well. um when you sort of go into detail about like the different factions of like the worldwide fandom kind of like warring against each other and the types of language that they use too. So like the way in which, like certain kind of fans, are like critical of other, like are critical of like the more obsessive ones on the basis of that like they're kind of like they might kind of be causing distress to him or they might kind of, or they've like completely misread like what the relationship between like the fan and the creator should be. Um there are some who like, I don't know whether they're former fans or whether they're just like critics and stuff, but people who kind of argue that Will White like is very aware of what's going on in the fandom and like his silence is also sort of like abetting or at least kind of like encouraging these types of like this type of like toxic conflicts and like you also mentioned that like because of the conflicts in the Will White fandom like it's kind of really affected real life relationships too and like how people sort of see themselves in the real world and everything and I kind of wanted to like ask you more about your how you kind of like interacted with that side like when you were interviewing sources or when you were interviewing people um were they like very aware of like other fan like yeah I I guess like did you get the impression that they were like very aware and fixated of like other like fans like did they situate themselves in relation to the fandom like basically the way that you speak to them did you kind of get the impression that like how they understood the Will white fandom was like really much more hyper personal than like anyone could really appreciate if you weren't inside it
0: Mm. oh yeah absolutely and that like these interviews went on for hours because you're trying to dissect language that they use specifically or Mm. or you know things like Gate, or you know the, the the great tiktok live scandal like they actually have names for different events that have happened over time um almost like they're keeping their own history right yeah it's um it's, it's just kind of nuts but they did definitely situate themselves in opposition to whichever faction they saw as their enemies and and the enemies would always be painted as being responsible for all of the problems with the fandom so no 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 we're we're the good side Mm. it's it's the other side of the fandom that are the problem it's the other side of the fandom that are causing the distress Um, which I guess is what enables all of this behavior because if as long as you convince yourself that you're not the problem you can just kind of continue on as you are.
2: I'm so interested in the idea of them keeping their own history of, like that's like that's i think that's i think that's like such a, way, a good way of putting it they're like kind of medieval monks
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> they have their own kind of yeah, archives but, and chronicles
1: yeah but it's also like this is kind of you know this is kind of so what like one thing that i've been doing like quite recently um or like i've been, I've been doing like for a while is just like in my diaries and stuff i also kind of write about stuff that happens online and like you know my and that, and that this is like partly just to like some research i'm doing for like you know other things um, and also because my therapist would be a very good exercise to like, you know, sort of understand like, and I, and I found it very weird to begin with, but I understand where it comes from in the sense of like, okay, well, when you're sort of exposed to like platforms and like online culture to this degree, but also a type of online culture that requires you almost to sort of invest a lot of yourself into it, mm-hmm. then like, this isn't just the case of just like, um, I mean, I'll, I'll use an example of like being, you know, I, I I was never really like a kind of stan in like a sense of like people being really addicted to stuff. But like when I was a teenager, I was very into like, you know, the, the like Linkin Park. Right. And I used to check the forums all the time and I knew far more about the DJ than like I really should have done. Um, I'm, I'm not answering any more questions other, than, other, other, other <laughs> than that. But like, you know, and I thought that was I look back on that when I was a little bit older, I was like, okay, that was like a little bit obsessive, right? The idea that you were checking this forum every day and you sort of knew who certain posters were and you sort of knew like what certain posters, like what they said their relation to this band was. But I think I had a very similar relationship to Phoebe with it, which was like, you know, I, my kind of proximity to the band, I sort of knew was very limited and like my fantasy was like one day I'd get to go to California and maybe I'd bump into them. But like, that was as far as it went. Um, when I w- worked a content job and I, I, I did, I interviewed like some K-pop stands for like a piece that didn't come out. Um, what I was really fascinated by was just like the level of organization that kind of came with this like type of fandom. And um, in the case of like the the people that I interviewed um, and, you know, they had like these very, they basically had like an entire infrastructure that was designed to monitor every piece of media about this band. Right. Mm-hmm. and i kind of got like a little insight into it and it was basically like oh you have like an entire database that's just like filled with and people like around the world who are like operating and you are doing it like as clockwork right so like if someone in europe is asleep and you've got someone in asia who's looking at it and so on so 24 7 like you've just got people surveilling like platforms to Find people who are like saying mean things about like k-pop fans right (laughs) and what was very interesting about those conversations is that they very they didn't really mention like you know none of them were really kind of that interested in like oh i'd love to meet them one day or like i'd really love to go to like south korea like you know they obviously would like tickets if they kind of came but it was it wasn't really kind of essential to the fandom site like none of them would, I don't, I think like very few of them would really kind of like camp outside of a venue overnight, for example, to like go meet them. Because yeah. to them, it's like the performance of fandom is very much in the monitoring and the surveillance and the kind of, you know, making sure that like what people say about them online is all kind of like above board and everything. Um, and I think that brought me up to this question about, and the Je- Jessica, about like fandom as labor. And uh, in the piece, you sort of mentioned certain things, well, which kind of accrues to that. So like, in in relation to Will Wright, you talk about the, the the grotto girls and the idea that like the grotto girls, um, who are like one of the subsections of the very kind of um very intense Will White fandom were talking about like sending him like three thousand dollars every month. They were like, um, when he said that he was thinking about buying a car, they like raised a bunch of money so he could do that, um, like within 24 hours. And like, you know, this is all kind of like fandom as kind of like performative labor, right? Well, I don't really know whether to call fandom labor or whether that's like a fair thing to do. So I guess I wanted to ask you, like, do you like is the, is the key to sort of understanding fandom in this sense to, to understand it as a kind of like active performative labor? Like, how would you sort of conceive of it as a sort of action that takes place in digital space?
0: It's difficult to say, isn't it? I think with the worldwide fandom, they're in quite. A unique position so they refer to his tweets which are things like good morning or i love you like kind of boyfriendy tweets mm. um as their texts and they respond to them as if they're texts so it's almost like a, a a dating simulation that is straight out of the early noughties in real yeah, time right. um and then it's when like he... my
2: dream phone
0: yeah <laughs> right right and then when he doesn't do something, they want him to, like, come on a live or, or or deliver a TikTok when he said he would. He he gets, like, a barrage of abuse and insults. Um, is it, have you ever been at the pub with a mate and he's come down and he's meant to have, like, done something for his girlfriend or whatever else? And he gets barraged with texts or, or just, like, a stream of abuse. Mm. Um, it's like watching that play out on a mass scale so yeah for them i don't know how if you could call it labor because they see it as more of a relationship they treat him as their boyfriend they refer to him yeah, as I, their boyfriend
1: yeah well that's really weird i mean i i, I guess <laughs> i guess i guess i guess the kind of conflict to it is very much like And, you know, this is kind of the broader thinking side. It's like, well, if you're going to like, especially when it comes to like micro celebrities and how we sort of define them or like the niche celebrities and how you define them, um, you know, they are kind of celebrities because of like the attention that they get. So basically they require like fans and they require like not just fans, but like fans who will kind of um, enshrine their position through some sort of like transactional mechanism. Mm-hmm. um or like some, tra- some sort of like transactional kind of process uh and in some cases that is very much just like donating money or like you know contributing money to like a particular project but as you know as the sort of like notion of celebrity expands it's not just you know the act of giving money is almost like secondary because what you're also doing is kind of you know the way that you're sort of conceiving your position as a fan is also someone who is like there to do like reputational control or someone mm-hmm. who is like there to invest a lot of time to like Find all the hidden knowledge because the hidden knowledge is essential to like making sure that um, the fandom can still exist. So uh, you know, there's a lot of cases I've like read or like things that I've read where like fandoms will kind of like, well, certain fans will kind of say, but yeah, like you know, people might think I'm sort of like harassing a journalist, or they might be think I'm harassing like someone who has said something like mean. But actually, what I'm doing is like community, like service for my community, right? Um, because I know that if my community say sees something like. Uh, like see see something that is like written in bad faith or written kind of like that is mean to like the um, like, you know, creator or artist or someone that they'll get really distressed by it. So actually I'm doing a really good thing um, by preventing like more people from kind of getting emotionally hurt. Um, and I don't know, it, I, it's something I've been thinking about for a bit because like, again, it doesn't make sense to me, but it sort of feel like as someone who like isn't really involved in the fandom, but I can totally understand why they might think that this type of behavior is sort of essential to not just like ensuring the position of like the artist or creator but crucially to like sustain the fandom
0: yeah yeah I think that's exactly right because one common theme at least from my perspective that you see running through fandoms is these are people I hope I don't regret saying this who often don't have very strong communities in the real world who will talk about having experience feelings of isolation and loneliness before they found the fandom so again it becomes a protecting that online community and the person at the head of it the tiktok star the the celebrity whatever um because they don't want to lose that connection and that uh, that enormous part of their life mm. Mm.
2: I, yeah i think i think that part of this that i find interesting and we've talked about this before is the way that uh, the way that survey- the, the way that kind of surveillance and monitoring uh, has kind of just drifted so basically uncritically into a way of um, socially and culturally managing the world around you um, and i was think- cause i was thinking about this a lot a couple of years ago when we when we started the show that's something that i find really interesting that i found really interesting about the obvious tangible material social benefits of say filming police officers because that's um because that is uh like that is rebelling against uh like state sanctioned violence against the populace and that's a way of demonstrating that uh, that there is somebody who doesn't have a kind of vested interest in uh, their continued behavior, uh, documenting it. There are people who see, and there are people who can, who can disprove, uh, disprove their lies, and there are people who can document them committing uh, vile crimes against the populace. But a lot of people seem to have seen this and seen this kind of this this obvious social good, and thought, okay, well, this can be used to map onto. Uh, managing the world around me and managing my social connections and managing my interests and there's no different to filming a stranger than there is to filming a police officer and I think there is an enormous difference but the same kind of logic seems to have kind of seeped into it so it's like so it's sort of so it sort of developed this kind of um this texture of being of being a kind of way uh, being a kind of way of sort of standing up for. Your civil rights or for in this particular instance standing up for uh standing up for the civil rights and the kind of the healthy healthy social functioning of the person that you are a fan of um but because the um like the absolute logic of like constant basically constant surveillance and constant monitoring has just slipped so uncritically into um into most of most of our lives it doesn't it doesn't. It doesn't seem to occur to people whether or not, like this is okay, whether this is an all right thing to do, whether this is a healthy manifestation of, um, of of liking of liking someone's TikToks. And I, yeah, I also I also think that it's. It, I think really demonstrative of how much, sort of maintenance level. Um, disturbance that a lot of that a lot of people have and that because there's there are no there's no real there's no real provision for it i mean there's no real provision for people who are seriously seriously unwell Mm. or who have uh complex and multiple conditions or for whatever reason aren't able to advocate for themselves in a very broken in a very broken Mm. mental health system and so these kinds of communities might well seem like a kind of like like almost like a kind almost like mutual aid, but again, because mutual, the concept of mutual aid has been distorted into if you like someone for whatever reason, then giving them money is something that is something that you can do, and that is mutual aid, but. I'm not saying it's. A, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, and there are lots of people that you know. Actually, they just need money, and that's something that will make their lives better and will stop them from kind of falling through the cracks. And that's. I don't think that's a bad thing per se, but it's not mutual aid. And I think the. I, can't, I, can't, I think there's a kind of misunderstanding of quite a lot of concepts which originate in, uh, in sort of social justice and, um, and I suppose kind of left sort of left wing um left wing thinking about how to um how to like organize and enrich and nourish a community and it becomes um and it becomes distorted into uh into this kind of stuff that we see around fandoms because like obviously i don't think there's anything by its very nature intrinsically wrong with being really 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 keen on something and developing connections in whatever capacity with other people who are really, really keen on them. I think that's, I think that's good. I think that's a social, that's like a really obvious social bond. It's like, it's like sharing any hobby. Like you wouldn't like, no one would like, no one would claim that like doing Wednesday night fives is like socially, (laughs) it's like socially damaging or socially harmful. And it does seem to be the case that um, this is deemed, it's deemed to be kind of particularly uh, worthy of sneering at because the majority of fandoms are made up of women and and mm. queer people. And it is looked at in a different way to uh, things which are more like, which are more kind of masculinely, masculinely coded. Um, and like, I mean, it also like, if we're talking about like deranged behavior around fandoms, I would recommend looking at the acts of basically any footballer and if you wanna see, if you wanna see, if you wanna see men acting like girls, that's where you wanna go. <laughs> if you wanna, if you wanna, if you wanna see that. Um I so obviously I don't think there's anything like, you know, we've caught some flack for being like dismissive of fandoms. And and we're not dismissive of fandoms. We just think that there's something very, very troubling in what has been absolutely just taken for granted as being an aspect of not just not just being a fan of something but also attempting to engage critically with any aspect of the culture because there's always going to be this group of people who have who are in many ways probably individually very troubled Mm -hmm. but in in such a way that it's not it's not really interfering with their um with their kind of pro- with their productivity, so they're still managing to have lives they're still managing to have jobs, so it is not deemed to be uh in any way urgent to get these people some help or at least some perspective uh, but that this that these are individually troubled people and who have utterly absorbed the logic of surveillance and think that the way that the the way that you can take control of your own social and cultural life is to monitor and surveil others and that seems to me to be something which is worth discussing and discussing critically not because I think that it's weird to really 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 like a film or whatever or a tv show (laughs) or or, or whatever there aren't really film fandoms there are there's there's because there's an MC, there's a, definitely there's definitely an MCU fandom, Jesus. Yeah. Um. But there's like, like who who like I'd really I really like the idea of there being like a fandom of like films that are kind of just absolutely without much thinking about, just like deemed by the culture to be like you know actively good films. Like, uh,
1: there, I mean, there are there are some, I mean, who like, the,
2: like, who's the taxi driver fandom? It's
1: me. Yeah, when I see a taxi driver. I mean, who, are, I mean, who are the yeah.
2: teenage girls making TikToks list like posting the
1: addresses of someone who said,
2: you know what, I saw a taxi driver, uh, not fussed.
1: <laughs> Wait, well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are some like Dune. No, not even Dune. I don't know. we we'll have have to think about that. Like, well, yeah. What are films where like if you sort of say something even remotely bad about it, you will sort of be destroyed? Um, Avatar, maybe. I don't know. Um, I don't, I, no, I, yeah. I don't Avatar. No, I'm only messing. You know. I'm, only, I'm only messing around. I'm only messing around with that. Oh, God, no, um, that, no,
2: no, no. They they must exist now because we've said it.
1: <laughs> they are true. Well. So I know that we're like, we're conscious, I'm conscious that we're running out of time. So maybe actually like, and Phoebe, the last thing you said actually might make good for like a last question for Jessica. Mm. Um, Because what I'm really interested in also is just like how PR and marketing agencies and just like the infrastructure around kind of like micro influences um, is like responding to this moment. Right. So, and I think when I think about even like Marvel fandoms, I think people like defend the idea of Marvel, but even, but I think because there's so many properties that are out now, And because there are so many kind of like, um, because there's so much stuff out there, it's really difficult to necessarily like stand a kind of cultural product, but it's much easier to like stand an individual, right? And especially an individual that kind of offers you like, you know, because Marvel films don't really offer you the proximity, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Cultural properties don't really offer you the proximity. Um, Even kind of like, uh, even sort of like novels that kind of become, you know, big cultural moments, they don't really offer you the proximity. But like the influencers do and they offer you like the simulacra of that. Um, And this is also like catnip for PR agencies and marketing firms who will find people who are like charismatic and people who are, um, you know, uh, work across multiple platforms and everything and we'll really try to milk that for what it's worth and just i, I sort of want I, I as someone who like has done some work in marketing and pr and stuff before mm-hmm. um what i was really interested in is like how have these agencies and how has this like broader infrastructure around kind of like celebrity management how do they respond to a situation where i guess like you know these celebrities do want like a degree of security and they do want a degree of like you know managing proximity and ensuring that the parasocial relationships don't sort of go overboard but it, at simultaneously like so much of their celebrity kind of is dependent on at least kind of like um offering people the idea that if you sort of perform hard enough and like you will kind of be able to kind of get closer right or you like you know that the the that you it's worth investing in someone because like and like finding like hidden knowledge about someone because it will offer you like a greater degree of access uh yeah like so, so how how have like these agencies and firms like responded to that is it the case that they sort of lean into it or is it something that they've kind of had to adapt to
0: I think everyone's still learning certainly in the case of Will White they uh they refused to speak to me the the PR reps on the basis mm. that I was uh peddling uh rumors and gossip um <laughs> of course um but I mean there was even before before I knew that that was going to be, I guess what would you you would call a problematic piece for Will White's team? Because at first it was this very wholesome. Oh look, all these middle aged women discovering their sexuality, how fantastic! Um, type of angle. I spoke to the PR woman, and she was who was managing White, and she was well aware that the fandom was a bit unhinged and, and, yeah. and problematic, and was really sort of grilling me on that, um, which kind of tipped me off, to be honest. But um, so they know this stuff is happening. And I think at the moment, it's a case of if we absolutely don't have to do anything, we won't and we'll stay silent. But they're certainly watching, if that makes sense, because this yeah. is this is where most of their money is coming from. Mm-hmm. I think I can't remember who wrote this article, but there's a really interesting piece in BuzzFeed not long ago about that marketing company that was doing all of the correspondence for influencers only fans.
1: Yeah. Some men
0: would think they were texting a woman, and they were actually, you know, texting Mark yeah. from the marketing department. Mark
1: from um, marketing. Oh my Mark god! Mark from yeah. marketing. Yes. Mark from marketing.
0: Um, so, so that there are opportunities, and I think that we're, we're going to see fandom being monetized more and more. But it's about working out how to harness it without endangering the people you represent, because yeah, those companies will ultimately be accountable for that.
1: I guess, like, my thinking is, like, it seems to sort of be, like, an untenable compromise, at least right now, because if, like, celebrities, if these types of celebrities do want kind of more management and control, then they basically want to be, like, traditional celebrities, right? And that means that, like, and again, it's like, their case of, like, okay, well, fandom of those traditional celebrities and artists and stuff, like, they have, like, geographically lineated boundaries because, you know, you won't be able to sort of get further. But the thing about the influencer is that, like, the way that, they work is that they are constantly promising you the idea of like access being a possibility mm. and that that access can happen spontaneously. And like the only way that you can get it is by sort of like being on your grind 24 seven in terms of like standing because the day that you don't do that might be the day that you miss the opportunity to kind of like, you know, access them. Right. Mm. Um, so it almost feels like it's this trap and like it's also this one where it kind of feels like, um, you know, uh, the the types of celeb, you know, uh, what's the right way to put it? I guess it's like I don't want to say it's like a cl- like there's like a class thing to it because I I don't think that's like the right kind of frame of analysis, but mm. it's certainly one where like celebrities who don't necessarily like have the access to all that infrastructure beforehand, but they are like somewhat famous. Like those are the kind of people who have to really reckon with like the risks that come with like blowing up overnight and crucially like on an app like tiktok where you know yeah people sort of go into it kind of like maybe wanting to sort of be that type of celebrity or like wanting to get their video to have huge numbers but there are also the cases that we've spoken about in different contexts before of like videos and content who that like just blow up overnight and have you have no control over and all of a sudden you're sort of thrown into like the myths of being like a celebrity and having to sort of deal with this new celebrity environment where like people feel entitled to you in whatever form. And like, you know, you might not be prepared for that. So it sort of feels like it's this trap and like one that can't necessarily be reconciled just with like industry changes. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe I'm just being cynical. <laughs> <laughs> um okay like so i know that we're very close to running out of time so like just before we end like jessica is there anything like you like maybe stuff that we didn't talk about in the will white stuff that you thought was important or like things that are like maybe worth bearing in mind when we sort of talk about fandoms more generally or how yeah like what for people who like kind of want to have a more like have a nuanced take about it like what is what do you think is kind of like a way in which we can sort of understand fandom a little bit better
0: I think one way in which we can understand it a little bit better is, is access, which I know is a bit of a basic take, but in all honesty, like if you think of obsessive groups of the past, and I was trying to come up with examples earlier and the best I can do is like insane clown posse juggalos Mm. or like those people who dress up to go and watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Mm. Investing in those fandoms requires buying costumes and dressing up and going to conventions and meeting with people in real life mm. so in, in previous years it's been you know it's required more time and effort to get involved in a fandom with a very deep way whereas in a very deep way whereas now all you have to do is kind of change your profile picture and adopt certain emojis and and maybe change your screen name and all of a sudden you know you your you're balls deep in what could be a very unhinged group mm. um and all the time you've saved can be used on spiraling further and further down the rabbit hole. So I think it's, it's becoming more prevalent and it's seeming like more of a serious issue because yeah. it's much easier to get sucked in
1: yeah Mm. it's a good point yeah i'm sure we will revisit this at some point soon um (laughs) because it does always keep coming up but no until then uh jessica thank you so much for joining us uh on this episode um if people want to read your work or like just keep up to date with what you're doing how can they do that um
0: they can find me on twitter or they can find my work at input magazine
1: yeah, they, they the people demand to join the Jessica Lucas fandom um <laughs> uh, only to find that they are of the fan of the Jessica Lucas fandom uh, and they're all talking about uh Cloverfield reboots um <laughs> it's going to happen it is going to happen one day um okay uh so yeah we'll put all the links to Jessica's stuff uh in the show notes uh including the piece that we spoke about uh in this episode you can follow us at 10k post on twitter.com you can follow me at hkiswani on twitter.com uh Phoebe how can people uh yeah what, what can people do to uh get more Phoebe content
2: well, if you want more Phoebe content you could always listen to me and Milo Edwards' Seinfeld podcast which is Easily ninety minutes long, ninety minutes an episode. So if you, <laughs> if, you, if, you re- if you really feel low on Phoebe content, um that's Masters of Our Domain, and it's Twitter is Masters of Pod, where we post the episodes and other stuff that we find amusing. Cool.
1: Yeah, um, look at that. Uh, the show is produced by Devon. You can follow them at Devon underscore on Earth. You can also listen to Kill James Bond, which is their podcast they do with uh uh abigail fawn and alice caldwell kelly uh and finally we are on patreon uh you can follow for bonus content we uh, produce bonus content once a week on fridays uh patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast uh five bucks a month all the content's really good uh we have like an interesting episode i think actually we've got a very interesting complimentary episode this week so check that out uh if you're like interested in like sort of understand like you know do like more stuff about like fandoms and everything um i think that's it from us so until next time we'll catch you later have a good one bye bye